It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on a Monday, October 26th, after the LA Galaxy's 2-0 loss on Sunday afternoon to Crosstown Rivals LAFC. Uh, An ugly game, certainly one we're going to talk about and dissect and look at a whole bunch of interesting little tidbits, including stuff about Pico Gonzalez, uh, some VAR controversy for sure, Chicharito Hernandez and why he wasn't at the game and why he hasn't made a single El Trafico yet uh, during his LA Galaxy uh, stint. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. And then we have a whole bunch of scheduling stuff, some interesting rumors surrounding a possible coach for the LA Galaxy, although it seems like maybe that's a stretch. We'll talk about that as well. So a whole bunch of things to get to and get you ready for the game on Wednesday night in Portland. So the Galaxy uh, now coming to a stretch of must wins, four games remaining. We have a whole bunch to talk about and to help me do it. uh, The man with the squeaky chair, the man with the pen who clicks all the time. It's uh, Kevin, the Panda Baxter. Kevin, how's it going? All right, my pens are in their pen holder, and I've changed chairs, so everything should be great this time. I, I highly doubt that. That that seems yeah. like that seems probably, like the kiss of not. death. Yeah, that seems like the kiss of death. Anyway, we're, we'll have all sorts of technical problems anyway. But uh, you were at the game, were you not on uh, on Sunday? So uh, I'll talk a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, well, it's um, just like the situation here. I mean, I try not to have a squeaky chair or have a pen present, and then the game starts and everything goes haywire. Um, Yeah, I mean, the Galaxy gave up 27 shots, didn't have a shot on goal until stoppage time, right? Right. And they they were down 1-0 going into stoppage time. I mean, it's... it seems bizarre. Um, they didn't try to uh, attack offensively at all after, especially after people Gonzalez went out with the red card in the 25th minute, they were playing, they basically parked the bus and hoped for a counterattack. If not for the bad call from the referee, I mean, this would have gone to stoppage time scoreless. Uh, I'm not, I, I can't agree with Sas- with uh, Sasha Clishton. I'm not saying that the call made the difference in the game. And I'm not saying the galaxy would have won. I'm just saying they had a better chance. If, uh, if not for that poor call in the 58th minute that led to the first goal, um, it, the Galaxy probably didn't deserve to win. I mean, LAFC had the ball 60 for 62 percent of the game, right. o- almost two to one advantage. Again, 27 shots to five. Galaxy without a shot on goal until stoppage time. Um, statistically, the game was both uh, w- was so one sided, but on the field, I mean, it's again one nothing until the third minute of stoppage time. Yeah, it, it was an interesting one, um, and I, I'll I've made this joke, and it's a joke only in in the sense that I call it a joke. It's probably more true than it is a joke. But in this game, you got to see what the LA Galaxy looked like actually playing with ten men instead of just kind of playing with 10 men, which is what they've done with strikers like, um, you know, Chicharito up top and Yoni Gonzalez recently, and even with Ethan Zubak, and everybody's like, but Zubak scored scored a goal against LAFC the first time. I remember. I'm, I'm not an idiot. I remember that, but but more than more often than not, the LA Galaxy's striking core, um, a striking core that has put in a whopping, what, two goals with Chicharito and Zubak? Three goals, because Zubak has two goals, right? Um, whenever you look at that, they've put in a whopping three goals this season. Um, and so really, it always feels like the LA Galaxy are playing down a man. In this game, they just were actually uh, down a man. And uh, I know that there were certainly some, and I think it might have been Hammer as well, who said that, you know, people Gonzalez getting sent off in the 25th minute was probably the gift that the LA Galaxy needed uh, because he has been generally pretty horrible in El Traficos. And he has continued that trend 
in this last one. So um, a lot of interesting uh, tidbits. Let's start with the the starting lineup, though, Kevin, um, only because there's a little bit of some some little changes in here that I think we should highlight. And then we have to talk about who wasn't in the starting lineup, which wasn't a surprise, but who also wasn't on the bench, which was a, I was a surprise. Yeah, it was yeah. a surprise, a surprise to everybody, uh, a surprise to the uh, to the announcing crew as well. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, you had you had Yoni Gonzalez starting up top at striker. Uh, that was a repeat from the Vancouver game. So not a surprise there. Pavone, Legette, and Araujo. Now, Araujo moved up from right back because Rolf Felcher came back from international duty and played at that uh, right back position. So Araujo was up in the midfield at right mid. Uh, then you had Kleshin and Dos Santos holding down the defensive side of things there in the center. So it was Legette, Kleshin, and Dos Santos. Jonathan Dos Santos also coming back from international duty and filling in for Perry Kitchen, who was out on yellow card suspension. So um, you had those. Then it was Insua, Pipo Gonzalez, Dan Steris, Felcher already mentioned. And then um, I was going to say, uh, Jonathan Klinsman. I was actually going to say Jurgen Klinsman because every time I see Klinsman, I want to say Jurgen. But Jonathan Klinsman in goal, um, who didn't have a great night. So if we start there, I, I think it's good. But uh, the interesting part about this was, Kevin, I think that a lot of people expected that Chicharito would be on the bench for this game. Uh, he wasn't starting, looking down on the bench, and and there's no Chicharito. Um, I have to imagine that that raised a couple red flags for you, for me, and and for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, the first thing we did immediately was ask the Galaxy what happened, and we were told there was this hamstring issue, which Guillermo also said after the game. Guillermo didn't say it with a ton of conviction, though. I mean, I, I you know, my radar is really up on this one. This this one does not smell right. He was allegedly hurt or, or, or developed a hamstring issue on Thursday. Guillermo did his media availability on Friday. He was asked whether Chicharito would start or come off the bench. He said that that. Uh, decision had not been made yet. He didn't say that decision will be colored by the fact that he just got hurt yesterday. Right. He said, you know, he, he had an opportunity to tell people about the injury. Um, the, I asked the Galaxy why Chicharito's injury, why it wasn't listed in the injury report. And they said that's done several days ahead of time. Okay, fine. You can send out press releases. You can update your website. It, there's no time limit to when you can put things on your website. Um, a guy like Chicharito, you're, you're, highest paid player, a guy who is in the spotlight for innumerable reasons right now, good and bad. If he's not going to play in the in, in El Trafico, in, in your inner city derby, if he's not going to play, you can't just show up at the stadium and say he's not here. I mean, I know that, that you know some people argue there's a competitive advantage and not giving that information up. You know, no, there isn't. It's uh, again, it's an inner city game. In the, in those locker rooms, there are guys who share agents, who have friends. I mean, you got Jonathan Dos Santos and Carlos Vela. You think Jonathan Dos Santos, who hangs out with Carlos Vela all the time, you think that the subject of playing a game and maybe Chicharito will be there, maybe he won't. You don't think that ever came up. You don't think Carlos Vela knew before. Taylor Twelman did, of course he did. So the competitive advantage thing doesn't work. That doesn't, it, you know, that doesn't hold water. Um, the, why he wasn't there, I'm not. Again, I'm not buying the hamstring thing, and we'll definitely know if he makes the trip to Portland because he's not going to Portland to play on turf if he has a, a hamstring issue. There is something going uh, else going on here. Uh, could possibly be Chicharito is not happy about coming off the bench, and this is the way to make it known. Um, if you wonder whether that happens in MLS, Latif Blessing did not make LAFC's last trip to Portland uh, uh, last week, and uh, a lot of speculation there about whether he was going to Brazil. There's been a team there interested in him. Um, the official report was he was ill. It, that's not true. The, the report was he was unhappy 
uh, in talks uh, between LAFC and the and the team in Brazil and decided he wasn't going to play in Portland. So it's you know it's very possible that Chicharito said, "I'm not happy coming off the bench. If you're not going to start me, I'm not coming." Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of different scenarios here. It, it just it feels, you know, what am I saying? 90% chance that he actually has a hamstring issue, which is a whole different sort of can of worms opening up, Kevin, which is why can't he stay healthy? Um, he looks like he's been out of shape the entire time he's been with the LA Galaxy. Uh, he can't seem to stay healthy, which is a problem. Um, he can't be on that. Again, I, I said it in the intro, but this is the fourth El Trafico of the year. Chicharito has been available for a grand total of zero of them. Um, you know, we talk about designated players and the the need for you to hit on them. They have to be successes because you're spending so much money and realistically they should be on the field for, you know, 90 minutes of every game really impacting the game the way you play. And we've seen none of that from, from Javier Hernandez so far. Um, you know, I think that, like I said, 90% chance he's probably interested and he has a hamstring issue and, and that's a different question sort of as it looks at it. But the bottom line is that you have a guy who was clearly, I think, not happy coming off the bench. Um, and there's a good chance that he was going to come off the bench in this game as well, which was funny because everybody was sort of billing this as the Carlos Vela versus Chicharito game uh, leading up to this. Uh, again. And, and somebody rightfully said on Twitter is like, great, they're going to talk about the second half subs for everybody, which is which is a funny little take on that stuff. Well, yeah, they both would have come off the bench like Vela did with 20 minutes left. Now, you you said that uh, I, I was at the game, obviously, so I was not listening to the TV announcers. You told me before we went on that, that Taylor Twelman, who was doing the ABC broadcast, did not know about Chicharito uh, and his injury before the broadcast started, yeah, I think right. I think right before the broadcast started, but you know, a lot of times they get tipped on lineups for the nationally televised programs. I've been to, uh, let's see, pull back the curtain a little bit and and explain how this normally works during non-COVID times. Um, usually, there's media availability the day. Actually, that's not even true. Usually, I would go the day before a Sunday game, so it would be Saturday, and the game would be Sunday. But as we know, the LA Galaxy always talk two days before, right? So the main media availability would have been on Friday. So everybody Which shows it was. up. Yeah, which it was, right? So everybody shows up on Friday, like during a normal time, um, and that's when it goes. But being I work, I usually can't make the media availability. So what happens is I would go on Saturdays. And Saturday, what it would be would be me getting to talk to one or two guys off to the side because I was there in the galaxy were being nice. And, you know, I wanted to talk to some guys and, and get some stuff for the shows or however. Um, and then it would be the the broadcast crew would be there. Now, if it was Spectrum, they, they usually sometimes I would be there. The, the sideline reporter, probably Megan Riza would be there that type of thing and she would be getting all of her information sort of for the the next day and so a lot of times what would happen is you would see like the espn guys like taylor would be there and whoever was doing it when you know john champion um ian dark back in the days as well so those guys would be there and they would be talking to um to Guillermo or they'd be talking to whoever the head coach was and literally they'd be saying so you know who's and I was never allowed to be in those talks because clearly they were talking about things that you know well, were, were going well, to happen so well here's, here's what happens in those talks is, as you're kind of alluding to it gets it gets much more inside baseball than that um, they're allowed into those those TV people are allowed into the practices which uh, we are not allowed in they can watch formations they can watch things that, that are going on um, yes, they bought that because they're they're broadcast partners. They bought the, the the rights to that information, but they are told basically starting lineups. Here's the formation we're going to go with. Here's how we're going to play. We think Portland is poor on set pieces. Whatever it is, they get a lot of that inside information. 
on the trust factor that they're not going to use it until the broadcast. And then, you know, you'll see something like Taylor Tomlin will say, watch how Portland sets up on this free kick or whatever it is. That's information they gleaned in those Saturday conversations that are, you know, completely off the record until game time. What I'm saying with all that, the point I'm trying to make is, I don't believe they would have withheld an injury from Taylor Twellman if, in fact, there was an injury. I think that would have come out in those discussions. You're right. I mean, it's probably 99% it, it is an injury. But, again, this just doesn't feel right. And for the broadcasters to be surprised that late in the day, it's almost like Chicharito showed up at the stadium, asked what the lineup was, and then just said, forget it. I'm yeah, going home. I mean, it very well could have been where they, they walk through the starting lineup on Saturdays, right? And, and the official story is that they talked to um, Chicharito on Friday, and they were like, hey, do you feel any better? And he was like, no. And then on Saturday, they were like, hey, do you feel any better? And they're like, no. And so then he wasn't going to start, but or, or he wasn't going to play. I don't know whether he was starting or on the bench or however that was. That's sort of the official line of things. But just the, he got injured on Thursday. There's a press conference on Friday. Everybody sort of knows what's going on on Friday. Questions were asked about him. Guillermo had a chance to talk about it. He didn't. Um, I don't think Guillermo's thrilled with Chicharito as it is. So I don't believe for a second that he would sit there and try to like hide an injury or, or do something like that for, for Javier Hernandez right now, especially with his job on the line, because, you know, he's going to get criticism for, for some of this, regardless of what happens as well. So, um, Looking at all that, I think everybody was sort of surprised. Again, it's probably an injury. It's probably nothing. Um, but there's too many things in this that are just goofy um, and the optics of it, how it actually looks. Let's let's pretend for a second that it's it's 100% above board and that it really is an injury. But the optics of it look fishy. Uh, and whenever it looks fishy, you're going to get questions. And LA Galaxy fans, rightfully shows, should have questions about this. And, and bottom line is LA Galaxy fans and MLS fans should have some demands to the league that... You want real injury reports. The injury report for MLS is a joke. If you see an injury report, it comes from the league. It's made by somebody who usually isn't paying attention. Sometimes guys who are definitely out playing games. Sometimes people who are listed in the starting lineups for some of these previews are already out and have been with season ending injuries. Um, they do all this to give you poor information on purpose because they obviously have that information. Uh, they know what that it's there. And now you have the league leaning like head first and, and really starting to pound all the sports betting stuff, Kevin. And if you're sitting there as an MLS better, let's pretend that like you wanted to bet. And on our discord, we have people who bet on MLS all the time. It's really interesting to see actually, because I'm not big into betting but it's fun to sort of watch how these guys um, and girls think about you know how they're going to bet things and look at things but you're not getting real information you're getting lies um, and you're getting twists and you're getting you know uh, diversions and all these things and if you're really going to be a league that wants to get into sports betting and lean into it as much as maybe England has um, or you know the NFL or any of these things the NFL has real mandated league backed injury reports and they have to be accurate and you can be fined if they weren't accurate and it wasn't that long ago Kevin during Bruce Arena's tenure that he got fined for obfuscating some some injury report um, and so there's there's been stuff like this before that we have seen, and MLS has backed down from these injury reports. So I, I don't want to keep going on a tangent on it, but bottom line is you're getting crap information. Uh, the team is feeding it to you, and the league is feeding it to you because they don't mandate that you get real information. And if you don't like that, you should probably do something about it because right now nobody's checking these teams and nobody's checking the leagues because we can't be there at training. They won't let us anywhere near it. So we can't tell you that we didn't see Chicharito at training on Friday. So where was he and, and what happened? And, and so what does this mean for, for a Joe Q fan 
what's the big deal? Well, they're lying to you for one. They're taking you for a sucker. Like they're going to give you bad information, but you're going to keep coming back. Um, kind of like the galaxy sending out season ticket renewals in the middle of a losing streak. It's like, you you know they, they're treating us like we're a captive audience um you're right about bruce arena but but one thing with bruce is bruce you know and, and everybody knows i worship at the altar of bruce arena but bruce was smart enough that he knew that the accurate information was important at least i think he was and so if he wasn't able to tell us or if he was going to get in trouble for lying or whatever it was there was a system if a player did not train uh, the day before a game, he did not play. And so when we asked Bruce, hey, is Robbie Keane okay? Is he going to play this weekend? Is Omar Gonzalez healthy? Bruce wouldn't tell us. He would say, well, he didn't train today. And that's all he needed to say. And we all understood what that meant. Um, yeah, it was a little coded and maybe maybe that wasn't as direct as it should have been. But the point is the information got out there and we didn't show up at the stadium and get surprised that the $6 million designated player wasn't there yeah. when we had led to believe he was coming. It, it, there, I just don't understand the upside to being dishonest. Um, I understand the upside to being honest. But I don't understand because now, now if Pavone doesn't go to Portland and he has a broken ankle, we're going to say, yeah, yeah, sure, he has a broken ankle. He's probably on his way back to Boca. And we're not going to believe it. And right. who gets hurt in those kind of situations? The team eventually winds up getting hurt. Yeah, it's just it's been a, a long season. Again, I, I think there probably is an injury. It's probably a hamstring. But the optics of this look sideways, and it doesn't change the fact that MLS doesn't mandate that you know any of this information. Uh, so let's get to the game a little bit more. So uh, you get a game, you get a kickoff. Everything is sort of there. We talked about people Gonzalez starting. He's an important person to, to, to focus in on because uh, I think, as I said in my intro, uh, he has had a disastrous time against LAFC. Uh, you can go back to the 2019 uh, playoff loss um, in that game where, where Diego Polenta and people Gonzalez were victimized again and again and again on that side of the field uh, during that whole five, what is it, five, two or five, three Um victory or for for lafc in the playoffs right and so that was a that was a big deal for for that game um and it was uh it was sort of telling and then you have people gonzalez goes to orlando kevin and you know his last game that he started was the 6-2 loss uh to lafc in or in the orlando mls's back tournament and that was it he didn't start until the game against vancouver so he has had a history of bad performances in these el traficos gabriel barish galoto gifts him another start after quite honestly nick depew has has slacked off a little bit so i don't completely disagree with it but at the same time going into this game it was probably a a too big game for for people gonzalez and i don't know why and how he's sort of fallen off the cliff that he has because he was a very good player in major league soccer whenever he was with columbus kevin but he is not that same player he hasn't been that same player and it is my very strong belief that maybe the last time you see uh, you know people gonzalez in an la galaxy kit starting on this field he may have to come in and, and do some mop-up work um but i can't imagine the la galaxy would if they if they had the option, which we're, we're assuming that his contract is uh, two years plus an option. So technically speaking, he should be out of contract and there should be an option coming up. But that's a guess because we don't really know. The Galaxy could have signed him to a three year deal, Kevin, which we have seen with them in recent years, which means that people's contract goes all the way to 2021. But if it's an option, there's no way the LA Galaxy are picking up that option. It has been a bad deal. He costs 
what we I would imagine what we consider a, you know a sizable amount of money um, and the LA Galaxy have seen almost nothing from it except very poor performances in big games that's no different 25th minute he fouls Diego Rossi gives up uh, what was originally a penalty kick Ke- Kevin and a red card but then not a red card it was a yellow card then it was a penalty kick and a yellow card then VAR looked at it and was not a penalty kick so then it was changed back to a red card for denial of goal scoring opportunity uh, dog so all of those things by the way VAR got 100% right Kevin Stott got 100% right they nailed that call uh, people Gonzalez deserved to be sent off um, and the LA Galaxy were now down to that 10 men that we've uh, seen them so much I mean you, you can't be surprised Kevin about people Gonzalez um, you know laying an egg in this game well by the way you talked about what he makes he made seven hundred nineteen thousand dollars last year um, so I assume he made the same amount he was expected to make the same amount this year um, so that's 1.5 million dollars that you've given to this guy over the last two seasons and he doesn't appear to be worth that right now especially when you have a guy like Nick Depew who's a young guy uh, seems to have a lot of talent now they don't have a lot of depth uh, at center back they're gonna have to bring somebody in if they get rid of people but uh, certainly they'll bring somebody in for probably a lot less than seven hundred thousand dollars yeah yeah it is and, and you were yeah 100 percent right on the on the salary there it's a lot of money um and so if it is a three-year deal then it gets even worse for the la galaxy now you're spending two point something million two point one million dollars on uh people gonzalez over this uh this time he's a desert he's a uh a, a defender he's an international he's a targeted allocation money player so there's a lot of boxes that he checks within this that cost him that make him very expensive for the la galaxy in this game he deserved to get the red card uh rossi did a good job turning getting him on the half turn uh gonzalez just sticks his foot out it's just it's it's poor timing and we've seen it i I, I didn't understand that i mean he had a lot of options i thought on that play including not letting diego rossi run right past him but it's almost like he turned gave Rossi the space and then stuck his foot out. I mean, I watched the replay a hundred times and it, 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 the fact that it's intentional, you can't argue with that, but how he wound up in such a poor position when he appeared to be in pretty good shape when Rossi got the ball, I'm not quite sure what happened. Yeah. I would say that in all of my watching of people, Gonzalez is his anticipatory skills are, are lacking severely. Uh, I don't know that he saw that coming. And then his reaction is to sort of stick it out. You know, he goes and we can talk about another aging guy who has lost the step, Sasha Kleshin, who I thought had the best game you could ask for him with the legs that he has in his age. And I hate saying that to, to him, but I just admire the way that he plays so much. Um, knowing that he and, and he knows it that, that it's not all there anymore, right? It's just he, he can't he can't do the same things that he used to do, but he's still out there trying, and he still puts himself in good positions to make good plays and and do good things. Sasha Kleshin does. People Gonzalez, on the other hand, has probably lost a step or two, uh, and puts himself constantly in poor positions, poor angles, and put, makes poor plays. Um, and so it's just the the difference of adapting to what you have. And Sasha Kleshin has adapted to what he has and knows what he can do. Um, and, you know, People Gonzalez is the complete opposite end spectrum for that. So, yeah. You, you, you know, uh, talking about Sasha, I, it, you just reminded me of an interesting conversation I had many years ago with a, a World Cup player from the U.S. women's team. Uh, she was an older player. She was a defender. And I saw her in an, an Olympic game, Olympic group play game where – um, she was chasing down a much younger, much faster player, and she caught her from behind and actually helped prevent a, a, a dangerous situation. And after the game, I said, oh, my God, you are so fast, you know, uh, for as long as you've been playing. And she said, I'm really not that fast. She said, look at the replay and look where I was. I ran half the distance the girl from France did because I had anticipated the play and I was in the right position. And I, I looked at it and I said, you know, she was absolutely right. And that kind of gets to what you're talking about uh, with Sasha. He is not 
the you know, he's not as fleet a foot as he used to be, and it's not as strong as he used to be. But because he's a veteran and been around so long, he gets himself in better position. So he doesn't have to work as hard as he did as a younger player. He's learned how to do that. I will also say that Sasha grabs shirts a lot too. Yes, if a does. player goes past him, watch him, he always reaches out and grabs the jersey. And why we're talking about defenders, I was thinking about this as I'm watching the game. You know, there's always the vote that comes up at the end of the year for player of the year and defender of the year. Have you thought about who you're going to vote for for defender of the year? Because we talked about this at the last home game. I think Ensue has had a probably quiet but very steady year. I think he's been a, maybe the defender of the year. Yeah, I think you're missing missing one player who I think has been far and head and shoulders above everybody else on the defensive side of things. Yeah, if you're going to say Steris, or are you going to say Araujo? Because Araujo is a midfielder. No, he's not. He's a defender. Don't don't play. And by the way, right. by the way, you can absolutely give a midfielder the Defender of the Year award. Which, okay, yeah, yeah, Jonathan got it last year. Yes, yeah. So it's Julian Araujo. I mean, I listen. I think Insua has been steady. I think you know what you get from him. I think he has a good rapport and a good understanding with Nick Depew, which is like just so vital. Um, you see them switch off all the time. You see Depew step out into the left hand side on the left back side, um, and then you know. Um, and Sua will slide into that center spot. Um, and what they ask Insua to do is a lot. And so it's the same with Rolf Felcher, which, you know, Insua does a much better job than Felcher does in terms of still maintaining a defensive shape um, and, and tackling things. But when you look at the best defender who's been on the field, it's been Julian Araujo. And, and if it's not, I, in my mind, it's not even close. The, I think the consistency that he's been at, the level of play that he's at, um, you know, I, I know on the broadcast they were talking about how scouts around the world know his name and they're looking at him and that could be this winter um so you know it, it's something that we've all been sort of watching i think julian araujo wins that pretty easily but in is probably the second best um and then i would go Steras and and depew could probably argue and, and you know beat it out but you know the one guy i'm pretty sure is not on that list for absolutely sure uh is people gonzalez uh, what about Rolf? is he is he leaving on the same flight with with uh people with people yeah they probably should be um it's just and and listen i think rolf felcher is an actual he is okay for the amount of money that he makes um he's not ridiculously expensive and he took a pay cut to stay um but do you want to have you know a player who's making two hundred forty-two thousand dollars who really can't defend all that well and isn't that great offensively either so you're not really getting anything from rolf felcher he is better whenever julian araujo plays in front of him and that side of the field didn't have any of the issues that the other side of the field did with Insua and sort of people early um, and then Sua and Depew. Um, so, you know, that's a that's a little bit of, of something there. But I think it's just Julian Rajo makes that side a, a lot better whenever you, you look at him. So, yeah, well, Rolf Felcher, I don't think stays uh, in this one. Do you want to um, do you want to talk about the controversy now? Because, you know, I think it's important. One is that people get Gonzalez gets the red card. Uh, the LA Galaxy ride out the rest of the half. Um, so, you know, they had um, they, it was in the 25th minute. So um, they had until halftime. They get to halftime. It's zero zero. So, I mean, it's mission accomplished playing down a man uh, from the 25th minute on that. You're zero zero at halftime. Uh, that makes a lot of that. That means a lot of good things happen for the LA Galaxy. But also, I think we sort of pointed out, I thought LAFC was totally inefficient in the way that they were trying to break down the LA Galaxy uh, on offense. And uh, I think a better team scores a whole bunch. I think Seattle probably kills the LA Galaxy by, you know, four or five goals in this. And basically it was one nothing, as you said, going into stoppage time. But the reason it was one nothing, Kevin, was because in the second half of this game, uh, LAFC scored a goal that absolutely shouldn't have counted. 
um, and it's been all over. Uh, it was all over your televisions if you were watching this uh, on uh, on Sunday. It has been all over Twitter. It's been all over social media. Uh, Taylor Twelman has been very, very vocal about the ridiculousness of this call, and I think it's important to sort of point out. Uh, one thing before before we talk about it, Kevin, is that there was another call in this game that happened, I think, in the 87th minute. Um, whenever, uh, whenever Bradley Wright Phillips scored, yeah, when Bradley Wright Phillips scored, and he was he was waved offside on this, and it is a very very tight offside call, and these two calls are linked. They're linked for one reason: is that one was called offside because the VAR official decided there was clear and obvious error, and that Kevin Stott went over and looked at the monitor and agreed and said, "Yes, he's offside." And by the way, it's not clear and obvious in anything that I can see. Um, on that if you if you want to say that it was clear and obvious I could sit there and argue against that very easily right but then on the other side you have a ball that looks clearly out clearly out um, of bounds before this play even starts on the complete opposite end of the field in the 58th minute Um, and and it goes over the touchline the LA Galaxy should have had a corner kick um, and and nothing gets done and as a matter of fact Kevin Stott didn't look at it and an official review never took place the VAR official definitely looked at it but he didn't he determined there was not a clear and obvious error in the uh, in that decision both are from bad angles Kevin both are not down the line so they're not easy to see but you either have to give both of them and allow the call on the field to stand or you have to pull them both back because they are exactly the kind of calls that VAR is expected to make correctly and there's zero consistency in them well, the the first call uh, with Eddie Segura playing the ball beyond the t- uh, touchline, I mean, it, it was clear. I mean, you can say there wasn't the, the greatest camera shot in the world, but there were at least three camera d- different camera angles I saw that showed green between uh, the touchline and the ball, meaning that it was it, it the ball was entirely beyond the touchline, so the the goal line. So it should that that goal should have been overturned because the buildup never should have happened and it should have been a corner kick. Um, it, it, when, when I saw the, the second call get overturned, the, the uh, offsides, rather uh, the goal getting taken off the board, my first thought was, is that a makeup call on behalf of the VAR? Did he say, or, right. or, or did he say to Kevin Scott, this Kevin Stott, you take a look at this. I'm not taking the rap for this one. I made the call the last time and didn't even tell you to look at the monitor. You're going to do this one. I mean, was the VAR official even aware of the controversy after the first goal? As you said, it was lighting up social media. Uh, Taylor Tolman was talking about it on the broadcast. Do they have cell phones in, in that booth? They, Are they allowed to read to. social media? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think they're actually supposed to. It's a, but I mean, just just to show you, uh, Twelman was literally tweeting out different things today that showed basically that the calls have been wildly inconsistent and that the clearest of these inconsistent calls was this goal that was scored in the 58th minute. I mean, pro pro needs to come out and says they made a mistake and people and I've been seeing it online. People have been taking pictures of balls and saying, hey, look, if you coming from this angle, you can't really tell whether or not the entire balls because this is a sphere and the bottom of the ball is smaller than the equator of the ball. Right. I mean, this is basic geometry stuff. So I understand that, which means that if you look at the bottom of the ball and there's grass in there, it doesn't necessarily mean that the entire ball is clear of the line. 
However, it definitely looked like it was clear of the line whenever you're looking at the angle you, you looked at. And there is offside modeling on Twitter. They took a look at it as well. This person, by the way, is just they're they're a hero of mine. Um, they can look at it and they basically use uh, photogrammetry to, to lock in and, and lines and be able to estimate really where the ball is. It's a lot of what happens, by the way, in the English Premier League. Just um, they have better cameras than the EPL and it's usually down the line because they have those cameras. So they're able to sort of take those and, and use some software. So, so this person actually does it. And what do you know? They found out that the ball was out. Um, it was out probably closer, but because of the angles um, that they're getting, it's, you know, a probability of it being out, but it was out by around an inch. All right. Now that's not a lot. I understand that. Uh, and that's that maybe that that has some people say, well, it can't be clear and obvious, except that if you look at it, it looks clear and obvious. It looks like there's some mistake here. And in my mind with VAR, Kevin, we have to stop making referees these angle experts on this stuff. You, you, you have to look at it from the angle that you have and you have to determine based on your eyes and what you are seeing, whether or not you, the call is correct or not. And that means you're going to get some that are wrong. All right, you're going to get somewhere. But right now, what we have is people literally is is VAR officials literally looking at this and saying, I know what your eyes are telling you, but your eyes are wrong. All right. And it's, well, that's the stuff that I can't handle because then there's no consistency. Just be consistency. What you see is what it is. Well, if you remember at the Women's World Cup last year in France, it seems like a million years ago, but it really was just last summer. Um, we, we went to a, uh, a FIFA presentation where they because uh, VAR and, and the officiating was such a controversy uh, in that tournament and a lot of the officials were just allowing play to continue and fi- believing that VAR would fix whatever had happened on the field they didn't want to make a call and get it overturned um, so they had this long uh, discussion about two hours about what it all meant and they really focused on the fact that it's just not the goal um, we have to go and look at the entire buildup the sequence that led to the goal that's exactly what happened yesterday they should have taken a look at the sequence that led to the goal not just the goal because that's where the error was made and and Guillermo talked about it he said look I, I don't blame the official at all officials make mistakes they got a lot going on uh, Guillermo said my fault is with the VAR guy he's sitting in a booth he has one job yep. to look at the camera he doesn't have to worry about 22 athletes running around, the heat and the humidity and all the things going on, all he has to do is look at a camera and say, is that right? Is the call right or is the call wrong? He said it's a very simple task, and it's clearly the VAR official messed that up because I, I thought it was pretty obvious, and that's the only thing that that guy had to look for. Now, a couple of the Galaxy players that came in, Sasha was one of them, said, you know, he was not going to say, look, if the call goes the other way, we win the game. Um, you know, he said, we can't say that. Who knows? Maybe we lost six to nothing because things would have changed. But um, one thing I do want to say about that play at the very beginning of it, um, after uh, Eddie Segura plays the ball in, he does look back at the linesman. He leaves the ball. He looks back at the linesman as if to say, can I keep going? Are you really going to allow this to happen? Yep. Clearly, he thought something was wrong. And a lot of Galaxy players, there's at least three you can see in the beginning of that sequence, throw their hands up. And they're turning toward the lineman, linesman and not watching uh, Eddie Segura with the ball. And then all of a sudden, it's launched down the field and it's a counterattack. Now, Dupuy and a couple of the other players that were at midfield 
did chase after the play and were involved in the play. But at the beginning, what led to the long pass from Diego Rossi that set up the goal was the fact that a lot of Galaxy players stopped playing. I understand why, right. but obviously uh, that led to a goal when they did that. It's absolutely 100% on the Galaxy for that. I mean, you, you can't you can't dismiss it. You can't say it. And, you know, um, there's lots of coaches who have screamed and yelled at their players that you play until the whistle. And that's great. And you can say that. And it's absolutely 100% the truth. And that's the way it should happen. The ball was out of bounds, and everybody knew it was out of bounds. I'm surprised somebody didn't go over and pick it up type of thing. Like, it's a throw-in. Oh, this this ball is out of bounds, that type of thing. Um, and, you know, it's just it's disappointing that that goes this way. It's disappointing that, you know, people Gonzalez changes this game from the very beginning. And I'm not saying the LA Galaxy are going to win this game because I don't think they were going to. Uh, but whenever people gives you, you know, the slanted field that's already there, and then when VAR makes a mistake, here's, here's the biggest issue that I have. Um, outside of the VAR, which is, you know, just use your eyes to tell you what you're seeing and, and let's let's move on with this, is that Kevin Stott never got to take a look at it. So you know whose opinion you have? You have the linesman who thinks that it was in, but quite honestly might not have been on the line because we can't really see him and where he's standing. Uh, I should say him or her um, and where, where they are standing. So you can't tell whether or not they're absolutely on the line or if, were they a little late getting to the line? Um, and if they were a little late getting to the line, you know, is their angle just as, you know, sort of fraught with, with problems that the actual camera angle is. So you didn't say it's that, but then it is up to basically the VAR and the assistant VAR guys. There's two guys who are in there and it's really the VAR official who gets to decide whether it's a clear and obvious error. The assistant VAR helps to sort of facilitate that decision, right? So in that booth with, with two people. But you didn't get Kevin Stott, who was watching that game, who was officiating that game. That one is at least close enough that you have to have somebody else take a look at it. You can't make that decision on your own. Um, and so just by saying, hey, there's a clear and obvious air here or and see, this is the problem is that VAR doesn't give the wiggle room, Kevin. It doesn't allow the uh, VAR official to tell Kevin Stott, this is really close. You might need to look at that. That's not how this this not how it works, right? He has to first determine that there is a clear and obvious air. And then and only then can he suggest that Kevin Stott look at it. The the, well, the, and, the middle ground and, and isn't that, there. And that's kind of why I wonder about whether whether or not that second goal was a little bit of a makeup call because the first one to me looked obvious and the VAR official did not ask the center referee to take a look at it. The second one was much closer and yet he's saying, Oh my god, I think you should look at this. This looks pretty bad. And uh, you know, they did go over and look at the monitor. Uh, but I, I I guess maybe to cut to the chase on this. Here's LAFC, a team that, for all rights, looks like they're going to the playoffs. They're fourth in the in the conference, and they look pretty pretty safe for going to the playoffs. They they get 27 shots, uh, you know, in this game. They only scored two, one in stoppage time, the other one on a bad referee's call. They could have had 20 27 shots, and it could have been a scoreless draw. Um, you know, it, that's not beyond the realm of possibility. Yet they went two to nothing. They're going to the playoffs. The Galaxy lose a player to a red card, absorb 27 shots give up a goal on a bad uh, referee's call, you know, and, and they lose, they, it's their ninth game uh, in a nine game streak, uh, streak where they've only had one win. Right. So my point is when you're a good team, a lot of times you get these breaks and I don't mean that, that uh, the referees turn their, their, their back on the other team. I'm just a, a team that has a successful season. They can point to a number of points in the season where they got a lucky break. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah. the Galaxy are not getting those breaks, and that's why they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and, and you also go to this, is there's not a player on this LA Galaxy team that receives the veterans' calls that, that players sometimes get, right? Like, it used to be if you, like, got anywhere near Landon Donovan and, and you, you know, you, you kind of pushed him a little bit and he went down, you, Landon Donovan was getting the call because he's a veteran and, you know, they get that respect. Um, there's not one person on this team that gets that respect. Julian Araujo gets the opposite uh, as a matter of fact, because he is so physical, because he's so quick, uh, referees can't keep up with him and constantly call him for fouls that sometimes aren't his fault. Uh, he received yellow cards that way before. Um, in this game, there was a there was a clear, uh, you know, on LAFC, Carlos Vela gets those calls all the time. Nick DePew got a yellow card in this game. Uh, there were two cards given out, a red card to People Gonzalez and a yellow card to Nick DePew. Nick DePew got a yellow card in this game um, because he beat Carlos Vela to the ball. Carlos Vela kicked him. Um, and then fell down, and and Nick DePew got a yellow card in this. This is this is the types of things that you're talking about, though. A good team and good players get these calls to go their way. The LA Galaxy don't have that, nor do they look like they have anybody on that team who has the ability to sort of take over a game and earn those calls. Uh, there's no on the field leader for this team that is capable of lifting them up on the on their back and, and sort of dragging them across anywhere. And so you know you can look at the red card and say that changed the game and. Of course, a red card is going to change a game. Uh, you can look at the bad call on VAR and say that changed the game. And of course, that's going to change the game. Uh, you can look at all these things that sort of went, you know, against the LA Galaxy in this. But bottom line is that at no point on this LA Galaxy team, look at the substitutes that came in, Kevin. Uh, you know, LAFC was able to bring in Carlos Vela and Bradley Wright Phillips in this game. Uh, the LA Galaxy were able to bring in Kai Kareniuk, and I, I really like Kai. I think he's great. And Joe Corona. And by the way, um, Guillermo Barrescalotto did not bring in Kai Kareniak and Joe Corona, the third and fourth subs of the game for the Galaxy, until the 85th minute. The Galaxy are losing one nothing, Kevin. They had been losing one nothing for for a while, and Guillermo basically brings those guys in for a 10 minute runaround with the five minutes of added stoppage time. So um, there's a lot of stuff in this game that was not great from the LA Galaxy, and I don't think there is a scenario in my mind that gets an LA Galaxy win against this LAFC team in this game. Having said that, I don't think LAFC played particularly well. I don't think they deserve all the praise that they got for how they played in this game. Um, but the LA Galaxy are a dumpster fire, um, and that continued in this game. Well, and and another thing you talked about how well they played after the red card in, in containing LAFC, or at least confusing them and not allowing themselves to be broke down. I, I expected Guillermo to go into the halftime locker room and devise a way that they could could play that defensive uh, uh, shape that they had, but also attack, and it never happened. No, um, I understand after you know when the red card comes midway through the first half, you just have to get to halftime and make the adjustments there. I saw no adjustments. I saw no effort at any point in that game for the Galaxy to do anything uh, in an attacking-minded way, and the game was there for them. I mean, again, it was scoreless and it, it scoreless until the 58th minute, and it was one nothing going into stoppage time. Any kind of a, a offensive attack might have yielded a goal that would have changed that game. Well, you pointed out it. it was the you know the galaxy did not get a shot on goal until the 92nd 93rd minute and that uh, came from Dupuy a defender yeah yeah Dupuy shoots it right and and by the way that was not a real shot like it wasn't anything that wasn't actually a shot on a goal you could sit there and say it was almost like he passed the ball you know to the goalkeeper there um, so it, it wasn't dangerous it wasn't a thing it was looped header that that fell right to him so that that wasn't even a shot on goal the galaxy literally got no shots on goal um, throughout this entire game you you had emailed me during 
during the game to him and like, hey, do you remember the last time the LA Galaxy didn't get a shot on goal? And in my mind, there's a game against Sporting Kansas City, I think in 2017 that I remember that happening. Um, I, I think I considered it the worst soccer game I ever watched in my entire life, um, which is why I remembered it. Um, and so you, you look at that, maybe that was that was something. But the Galaxy technically did get a shot on goal. Uh, it was a gift as a shot on goal, but it was still there. The Galaxy could have done something in this game, Kevin. You're right. Um, they just... They don't have it. Um, they they played. Did you notice they played almost exactly as they normally do, um, but down a man, and it, it looked like the same team that we've seen on this LA Galaxy team throughout all of 2020, which is being you know offensively um, minimalistic. Let's say um, you know in the nicest way possible. There's there's nothing there. Yoni Gonzalez was going to save this team. Chicharito certainly was going to ch- save this team. Uh, maybe Ethan Zubak, who works real hard but usually doesn't get anything done, uh, still has two goals on the season. By the way. Um, uh, don't want to completely dismiss him, but there was there was nothing there on that night. Um, and the Galaxy, you know, now with uh, with four games less left, Kevin really are, are backs against the wall and need to win. I would say all four of these games really to have a, a realistic shot at the playoffs. Maybe they can win three of them um, and and make the playoffs. But you know, right now it's you have to win or you or you go home. The uh, as I said in my story, the only race the LA Galaxy uh, are capable of winning right now is the one to see who can be on the golf course first in the off season because well, that, that's and- where they're headed. And they have four, maybe five games left. We don't know if that Colorado game will be played. Um, two of the games are against two of the top three teams in the conference. They play Portland this, uh, you know, this week in Portland. Then they play Seattle at home next next week. In between, they have Real uh, Salt Lake, which will be here. Real Salt Lake is playing to get in the playoffs too, so they're going to be very up for that game. And then they they end the season uh, against Vancouver back in Portland on the turf. Vancouver still having a shot for a playoff. Uh, uh, you know, making the playoffs as well. There are no easy games in in that in in those last four. And like you said, if if the, if the Galaxy lose two, I think they're well mathematically they're done. Right. Um. It, you know, they have to get at least a point uh, from every game, and and they need to. Well, what, they're six points down now, so they have to make up six points on San Jose to get back into the playoffs. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, and, and quite honestly, I'm gonna, let me preface this before we even get into any of the other news that we're going to talk about. The Galaxy do not deserve to make a playoff, make the playoffs this year in a league where eight of the 12 teams in the Western Conference will make the playoffs. That's how horrible they are. And certainly last place in the um, last place in the Western Conference um is uh is is an interesting place to be for them and and very clear to the um to the supporter shield as well or the uh, the wooden spoon which i don't think is being offered this time so um yeah all all interesting stuff uh whenever you look at it as we go so who who keeps the spoon who ke- i don't know i think they're just so so the supporter shield let's go over this supporter shield is back on because you know philadelphia and toronto whine enough i love it toronto was whining like crazy i I think I'm on record, Kevin, as saying that there should be no supporter shield this year, um, that you were going to have one conference that looks like it's going to be decided by points per game, which is the Western Conference. Um, and then you're going to have the Eastern Conference, which looks like it's going to be decided by points. And you're going to tell me that is the fair way to offer up a supporter shield winner. Uh, unbalanced schedule. Uh, the LA Galaxy, I think, only play eight opponents total and other teams have played 14 or 15 opponents. Um, whenever you look at it, but yes, that's that's the fair way to have a supporter. They were right whenever they said there should be no supporter shield this year. There should be no wooden spoon this year. Um, although the, I think the LA Galaxy might just earn it um, if they continue to spiral out of control here. So um, 
you know, all those things being said, uh, there's 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 no so there's no wooden spoon. It seems like, but it does seem like the supporter shield at least is back on. And I guess MLS threw a little tissy, and um, I you know I, I think that there were people on the commission, um, which is a fan commission to to sort of uh, keep track of the supporter shield and award that supporter shield uh, correctly. I think there were people on there who made the correct decision and then didn't like the blowback they were getting and couldn't handle people in their mentions um, and couldn't handle MLS getting a little saucy, uh, saying how can you do this? You know the whole deal. I, I would have told them to quite honestly to shove it because this is there's there's zero legitimacy legitimacy to this supporter shield uh, and then Toronto by the way got blown out by Philadelphia five to nothing so they complain about the supporter shield and then get blown out um, so you know that's maybe that's a little poetic justice I'm not so sure but yeah supporter shield wooden spoon Kevin can you can you honestly say that it's anybody should hold up a shield or a wooden spoon at the end of the season well I mean just look at the at at the Galaxy, for example, and LAFC, the two teams that are, are in Southern California, they're not going to play Minnesota. They're not going to play Sporting Kansas City. Sporting Kansas City leads the conference right now. They play multiple games against Seattle and Portland. That's a little unfair. They're not going to play New York and Philadelphia, the two best teams in the league based on record. Um, uh, you know, you it, it's a, a, we understand why the schedule is the way it is, um, but it, it really doesn't test the teams that are strong i mean you get a lot of games against vancouver the canadian teams toronto for example played montreal and vancouver two of the weaker teams in the league multiple times when they were stuck in canada so no i mean there's just no semblance of of balance to the schedule we may find out who the best team in the league is when the playoffs begin but i don't think we can we can assume anything now from the based on the schedule and by the way uh it was august 23rd at columbus galaxy lost two to nothing did not get a shot on goal that was 2017 2017 okay i was close i was at least in the right year well i mean it's not hard just look for the train wreck of a year and it'll be 2017 so uh that works so uh by the way the western conference being decided by points per game if you think that this is a great way to to go ahead and decide and it's really really the only way uh the only problem is right now that the team that caused this western conference to have to go to points per game the colorado rapids are currently in a playoff spot kevin only only on points per game only on points per game but if it's going to finish points per game right now seattle would jump sporting kansas city um and then it would basically be uh, seattle at 1.78 points per game uh sporting kansas city at 1.74 then you would go portland timbers 1.68 minnesota 1.5 those are your top four uh then you get uh, your next four is lafc at 1.47 in fifth uh six would be fc dallas they stay in their spot at 1.39 uh, then it's the Colorado Rapids that would jump from 11th in the standings, basically up into the seventh spot with 1.36, having played 14 games when other teams around them have played at minimum 18, and some have played 20. Vancouver has played 20 games, and Colorado has played 14, but Colorado would jump over Vancouver on the points per game, uh, and it would be 1.2 uh, for Vancouver, and then San Jose is currently out at the points per game, although I'm not sure the sorting works perfectly, so just say it's well, Vancouver no. and San Jose are right there at 1.2. Well, the way I look at it, San Jose would advance on the next tiebreaker, which is uh, goal differential, because yeah. they're, they're one goal better than Vancouver. One's at minus 16, one's at minus 17. But what you point out is interesting because Colorado is the one that caused this problem. It's seven games postponed because of COVID-19. Now, they're going to make up some of those games, and, and, they, and they got hammered by Sporting Kansas City, their first game in a month uh, this weekend. They got hammered. So uh, maybe the schedule is going to prove too tough. Maybe they're going to take themselves out of contention uh, just because it's you know there's too much that they have to make up. But 
based on what you're looking at right now, we would take Vancouver, a team that um, has, you know, as you said, played 20 games, played half of the part of their season in Portland, not even in the same country, uh, played part of their season in Canada when they had to play only Toronto and Montreal, uh, went and, and did fairly well in Orlando at the tournament. They've endured all of these problems, and they've done it without really having any COVID problems. Colorado, the team that couldn't keep its uh, players healthy, they're going to go to the playoffs, and Vancouver isn't. After, again, Vancouver having to play the last two months in another country, all the things that they've had to dealt with to deal with, if they're in the playoff hunt, they should get to go to the playoffs. I'm not, you know, they have lost 12 games, so it's uh, it, it's not like they're the best team in the league. But with all the things that they've endured, if they're that close to the playoffs, you kind of think that they should go. And Colorado, the one that caused the problems, I mean, it, why should they be rewarded for playing fewer games? It's a it's a head scratcher. So uh, again, you know, they they did do this one one other time um, after 9/11 in 2001, the uh, play. You know, positions in the table were determined by points per game because some teams had played one fewer game than other teams. That's one fewer game. We're talking about seven as it is right now. Yeah, I was looking back and the LA Galaxy played, uh, interestingly enough, in 2009, Kevin, they played 33 games out of and, and everybody else looks like they played 32 games in 2009. I think it was 2009, um, which is just a weird sort of, okay, that makes some sense. I don't know what happened there. I'll have to go back and actually look at it. But um, yeah, I mean, there's been times when it seems like there's been some uneven um, sort of answers uh, on, on some of these things. Uh, but whenever you look at it, um, you know, this is just, I, I guess this is just the way it is, which I, I have less of a problem with it as long as you don't pretend that these are real things that people are walking away from. It's not a real supporter shield and it hasn't been since 2011. Um, you know, it's not a real wooden spoon, just the way um, it's been been sort of uh, crazy and, and, and sideways on this stuff. So, um, you know, I, I guess that is what it is, and, and you sort of have to take it from there. Uh, I, I guess I should stop complaining. I, I think that's usually um, the thing that people tell me is that I should stop complaining. So we'll see uh, if that stops me, which is unlikely. Uh, well, you know, I, I talked to Alexi Lawless about this. He he played for a number of teams in MLS, was an executive with another number of teams. And I asked him about this. Should any of this count? Because it's it's possible that Philadelphia and Toronto, if they each of them win their last three games, they will be the best team in MLS history on a points-per-game basis for a regular season having played 11 less fewer games than teams played say last season right and he, he's and alexi's thing was look just wrap your arms around this there is going to be a champion there's going to be a champion of the regular season there's going to be an mls cup champion there's going to be a scoring champion all those things are going to happen he said but whenever we talk about those things sure everyone's going to say oh yeah that was 2020 and all of us that have lived through this alexi said we're all going to know what that means and we're going to uh, all attach more or less significance based on that. His argument kind of was, yeah, there's some teams that have not uh, played well, like the Galaxy, and you've already heard uh, Guillermo use the the whole COVID thing as an excuse repeatedly, like this is a wacky season, and he's right. You know, this is a crazy season. How can you really put a whole lot of importance on this? But then when you look at all the hardships that other teams like Toronto having to come down and play in Hartford, all the hardships that they've gone through, Maybe they are a le legitimate champion. Then you can look on the other side and say, yeah, but all they did was play Columbus six or seven times yep. in Montreal. So, you know, you can go back and forth on this thing. But Alexi Lawless's point was like, look, there's going to be a champion. Uh, if you want to put an asterisk behind it, fine. But that asterisk means unbalanced schedule, 23 games. It doesn't mean you are undeserving of a title because that, that would really be unfair to a team that does 
that does come through all of this turmoil and actually wind up winning the final game. Yeah, 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 whatever. I don't like arguing that two sides of stuff. <laughs> it gets, it's, it's one, it hurts my head. But as a journalist, you always have to look at the yeah. other side. Yeah, yeah, I don't, it just, it, it hurts my head. I'm a podcaster. We all know that. Um, let's see, let's get into a, a little bit of LA Galaxy news before my voice completely goes. The the fire, by the way, that's down here in Orange County is about, I don't know, like eight miles away from from uh, from us. We're, we're perfectly safe. We're fine. Um, no problems. Uh, uh, that's and, and we'll 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 move on. A lot of people are evacuating up to 90,000 people are evacuating. Um, not that far from me. So I will I will certainly take uh, what we have. But the the air quality and the wind was so bad today. I had to like blow the desk off. There was so much dust. Uh, in the room here for for the podcast and uh, the 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 sharpness of the smoke and everything else that is uh, that is sort of in the air is, is also putting me in a bad mood. So we better continue before I, I well, completely go off this. Let, off let the us rest. say that any of our listeners down there, uh, or any friends of our listeners, or anyone there that uh, we're thinking about them, and and please be safe and be careful. And remember, when you leave your home, you're also going out into a world where there's a global pandemic. So be careful with that, too. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. Speaking of Megan Reza earlier, I know that she's up near that area in there. So uh, I saw on her Instagram stories, I'm not speaking out of turn here, um, but she she's up in that area. I know that she's out and she's safe and her and her husband are out and they have a whole bunch of family. And so they're good. So hopefully uh, everything is, is good for her up there. Um, but yeah, I know there's a bunch of people who are, who are around her. I know there's Galaxy fans who are up in sort of that Irvine, Santiago Canyon, um, you know, area that's that's not too far away so uh just stay safe as, as we go and we'll continue on with a, a little bit of podcast didn't mean to completely sidetrack us there but there's a little bit of la galaxy news there is a rumor um that the la galaxy might be interested in a former mexico national team coach in fact a former mexican national team coach times two uh javier Aguirre uh is is a 61 year old coach i know a lot of people are, are familiar with him um Aguirre is from uh, Mexico City he played for the Mexican national team um as I said coached the Mexican national team twice 2001 um and in 2009 uh but he's also a guy Kevin who has gone through 12 teams since 1995 so he gets around um that's a long time but at the same time he gets around well and he's an interesting guy I spent a lot of time with him at the 2010 World Cup that was a World Cup Graham Jones our Hall of Fame writer at the LA Times was still there then and I went to South Africa to cover Mexico. So I was pretty much embedded with that team. Javier Aguirre was an interesting guy. He would, he treated me very well. I liked him a lot, but he would be a, maybe a poor fit unless he's changed, unless he's, he's, he's come to some sort of agreement with Dennis DeClosa. When he was coaching that Mexican team, he was a guy who loved veterans. Uh, he played Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Uh, and I believe he started them in all three group play games. Um, and he had, Chicharito, who was at his most Chicharito-esque uh, time of his career then, was a very young player coming up, uh, got to play some, scored a goal in that World Cup. But Blanco was the guy who started, even though he was an aging player that was kind of uh, over the hill. Uh, he started Conejo in goal, even though he wasn't the best goalkeeper he probably had. Memo Ochoa might have been the guy on the on the, the upswing then. My, and he cut uh, Jonathan Dos Santos from that team, and, and so uh, Gio almost walked off the team because he wanted his little brother to be with him. So the point was there was a lot of talented young players who were starters by 2014 that Javier Aguirre really did not have any confidence in and didn't use. He stayed with his veterans. 
that seems to be a bad fit for um, an organization that is really pushing the academy players and bringing up young players like Efrain and, and Araujo, uh, um, you know, some of the players that they've developed in their academy. It doesn't seem like that would be the right fit. Now, whether he can come in and 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 change and, and do it Dennis's way and just coach the team and coach the players he gets, that remains to be seen. But that was my one takeaway from him is that he seems to be a guy who loves veterans, doesn't like to give young players a chance until they've proven themselves and that might not be the guy for the galaxy hey can i can i tell you something do you want to feel old for a second okay all right the the south african world cup was in 2010 uh, i said 2010 i thought I? you said 2014 i i, I thought no, i heard no, 2014. I, oh okay yes yes you did by 2014 okay um all of these players were now playing for the mexican national gotcha. under a different coach but gotcha. in 2010 he didn't give them a chance it shows how, how little i pay attention to you no it talk. shows you how old you are your hearing is I'm, gone uh, dude it's that's that's not a that's not a thing that my wife doesn't say to me all the time i'm just just sort of putting that out there um so let's move on from that i, I don't know how real any of that is again it would assume that gamma barrescaloto is already out the door we heard the robbie Keane rumors that were told is absolutely a rumor uh, i think aguirre at least as a head coach and a former national team coach with um with mexico with egypt um i'm trying to see if there's any others there's atlante there's pachuca uh osasuna atletico madrid um, and most uh, most recently, I think in uh, in Leganes uh, in in La Liga, so um, a, a lot of uh, a lot of experience there, but a lot of moving on uh, all the time, as it looks like. So um, we'll see where the LA Galaxy go with that. The other bit of news that sort of came out that I don't know. I guess if you're a listener to this podcast, Kevin, they won't be surprised. Uh, the LA Galaxy are apparently, and this came from uh, TYC Sports in Argentina, basically says the LA Galaxy aren't paying twenty million dollars for Christian Pavone. Uh, the LA Galaxy notified Boca Juniors that they're not paying the $20 million and that basically Boca would get Christian Pavone back at the end of his contract time. Now, he's supposed to be with the LA Galaxy through, I think, the end of the year, December 31st. However, uh, I would imagine that if the LA Galaxy missed the playoffs, that Christian Pavone would be released. And if he's released, he very well could be back at Boca Juniors enough uh, in time, I think, for, for some, some big games for them. So if that goes back. So we'll see if that all happens and when that happens, what the timing is. But Kevin, uh, there's two things to look at is one, we told you the LA Galaxy weren't going to pay $20 million for Christian Pavone. And two, this could mean and should mean that the LA Galaxy have an open designated player spot going into the offseason. Yeah, and and there's going to be a lot of movement. We know that going into the offseason, you know, people talking about Guillermo's job. One thing to be a little bit cautious about is, uh, as I was told from a front office official, is, look, if, if we make a move now um, and this person wasn't tipping his hand. He did say there needs to be some accountability for what's going on. So it seems as if the gears are moving already. But he said, you know, if we bring somebody in from overseas, they, they're going to have to quarantine. They have to get here first and they got to quarantine for 14 days. Why would we do that at this point in the season when the season's almost over? And in addition, if Guillermo was to be fired, he takes his top three assistants and the, the fitness coach with him. There's nobody left to coach the team. So it's looking like Guillermo is going to finish out the season, but Probably won't be here when when training camp starts. Um, and uh, with the Pavone thing, the, the Galaxy were never going to pay twenty million dollars. They, they about half that was was their price range. So um, this all could be negotiations. Boca Junior trying to drive the price up a little bit. But you know, Pavone was an MVP candidate about midway through the season, and he's kind of disappeared. Yes. And so I'm I, I'm wondering at this point whether the Galaxy would even consider ten million, right. uh, which is where they were just a couple weeks ago. 
Yeah, that's a uh, that's that's a good that's a great point. Um, just just looking at all of those things, and again, uh, when you look at the marketing side of things, Pavone is less of a marketable. And I, by the way, I realize dipping my toe into talking about marketability right now with you know a fifteen million dollar player, uh, five million dollar salary plus bonuses, no bonuses there for Chicharito uh, this year, and then basically a, you know a ten million dollar transfer fee. So a fifteen million dollar player that uh, lots of people will claim was completely for marketability reasons, um, but Pavone is less marketable um, for sure and so to spend 20 million dollars which would set a new incoming transfer record for major league soccer uh just doesn't seem like it's in the cards maybe the la galaxy are you know crazy enough to go ahead and do it and maybe they're going to try to do it to make sure that um you know fans uh stay somewhat on their side i don't even know that that placates fans because i think it's a gross waste of of 20 million dollars whenever you look at it um, I think Christian Pavone is really good. I think he'll be playing in Europe uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, having said that, he's going back to Boca Juniors right now, and, and they're not going to spend the $20 million on him. So, well, and, and you talk about Chicharito, and before him, Gio, and, and they brought here to market, presumably to market to Mexican-American fans. There are 6 million Mexicans and Mexican-Americans in Southern California area, um, you know, including San Diego County. Um, you know, it looked like a gold mine. Have you seen any Chicharito commercials, advertising, and yes. magazines, radio? TV? Yeah, you have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I does, have not. He I does, have not. He does. You just need to go on the MLS website because they always well, have like the, not the MLS wait, website. Wait, wait. Mexican I'm gonna tell American you. fans are not on the MLS website. They're on I'm, the Liga, La Liga M uh, website. They're watching Telemundo, Univision, Uno Mas. They're not on the MLS website. You're going to sound like a moron here in a second. He <laughs> okay. did. Oh, like that would be yeah, news. I know. I was going to say <laughs> this is nothing new, but no, he's done the Bud Light Seltzer uh, commercials. So that is a national spot that he has for Bud Light Seltzer. And, you know, it's great. I don't know. By the way, the hammer really likes the Bud Light Seltzer. And I'm just I can't get him bored on, on that. But he says they're delicious. So I guess there's there's one happy customer. Um, but having said that, yeah, Bud Light Seltzer is a national one that he has done um, that I remember right off the bat mostly because he's getting made fun of for it constantly so but he plays and and he, he lives plays and lives in southern california he needs to go out to vallarta supermercado vallarta he needs to to go to some of these events locally i mean if he's gonna sell jerseys and tickets locally <laughs> he's, he's not this year but yeah i was gonna say he's not going anywhere near that stuff right now he's yeah. talked what has he talked a grand total of one time since the mls is back tournament have we, yeah, I, I was just once. I was just talking to someone in Houston the other day, and he, and they were asking, hey, you know, in L.A. the market it with you got Vela and Chicharito, you know, last year Vela had the greatest season arguably in MLS history, set the scoring record, playing for a local team, and I worked for the local newspaper. I spoke to him one on one for eight minutes all of last season, um, and I know that because it was one interview, and I have the tape, and it lasted eight minutes. And it lasted eight minutes, yeah. So yeah, Chicharito, nothing. Uh, yeah. That eight, eight minutes. Fella talked to me eight minutes more than Chicharito did. They're 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 absolutely one hundred percent sheltering Chicharito right now. Um, and and I don't know that I blame him. I don't know what he's going to say. Last time he talked, he got defensive over one question that I asked that I thought was pretty, pretty much a, a softball. But anyway. I digress. Uh, let's get through this and, and get you ready for Portland. And before we do that, just a programming note or a programming update. L.A. versus Seattle on November 4th. Lucky Galaxy fans will kick off at 8 p.m. Pacific time and air nationally on Unamas and uh, TUDN USA and, of course, Twitter. So you will be able to find that game. So uh, that's that's, I guess, good news for 
the LA Galaxy, they have a national. That is not good news. Eight o'clock is not a good time for a soccer game. It, well, of course not. I mean, you know, neither is seven thirty on a Sunday. But they they seem to really like those and keep sticking those on us too. So, um, yeah, that's where it sits uh, right now for the LA Galaxy. Uh, they have a weekly schedule coming up. They will train on Tuesday. We're recording on Monday night. Just letting you know, they will train on Tuesday. Uh, the game, of course, is on Prov is uh, Providence Park uh, against the Portland Timbers at seven p.m. Um, there's the original phase two schedule we said said 730 um, and then the the weekly schedule we have also was was a little uh, was off as well so um, it's at 7 p.m. Pacific time is the game is the kickoff game this game is on ESPN as well not spectrum I thought it was on spectrum earlier it's on ESPN so Having said all that, you should be able to watch this Wednesday night game as well, so that'll be interesting. The Galaxy will then train on Thursday whenever they come back. Uh, we'll see how much training they do on Thursday. Uh, media availability, the only one this week will be on Friday, October 30th, so nothing before the game on Wednesday. So we will not know how Chicharito is doing before the game on Wednesday. He'll either show up or he won't, and I would imagine right now, Kevin, that he's not going to show up. Uh, Saturday, 11 uh, LA Galaxy training on Saturday, and then Sunday, uh, the LA Galaxy host a, I think, what's going to be the final home game for me uh, this season uh, as the LA Galaxy host Real Salt Lake because I'm not going to those midweek home games. Um, what so, about the playoffs? Yeah, huh? The playoffs? You want to talk about the playoffs? Playoffs? The playoffs? Ted Lasso does that. Yeah, hey, yeah, I, I'm sure that's where he got it. He's back for a third season, by the way. Did you hear that? We we talked about that Did on the show. Did we talk about that? I yeah. don't know that you and I talked about it, but we talked about it on either a Thursday show or a Monday show. Third season, not just the second season, which is the... We're, we're, everybody's through the first season. We're now second season, and now they've renewed for a third season. So It's not even a People Gonzalez contract. There's no option involved. It's there's no three option. years. It's now. just three years. Well, hey, People could be three years, and then we'll all be sitting here talking about People sitting on the bench next year, too. So uh, that being said, that's where we're at. Uh, the LA Galaxy are traveling up to the Portland Timbers uh, to play them on uh, this midweek game. It's on turf, as we uh, often point out, at Providence Park, which possibly means that Chicharito, with a hamstring injury, and we'll pretend that that's 100% true, uh, will not be playing in that game, so you shouldn't be looking for him. Uh, People Gonzalez cannot play in that game. He is not physically allowed to. He will be suspended for that game. The Galaxy should get it back. Perry Kitchen, uh, Yoni Gonzalez is, will be available for that game as well. Again, the game, a 7 p.m. kickoff time on ESPN on October 28th um, at Providence Park. Kevin, the uh, the Portland Timbers are a good team. The LA Galaxy are a bad team. Portland, third in the Western Conference, sixth in the Sporter Shield standings, and 12th uh, in the LA Galaxy, as we've talked about, 12th in the Western Conference and 24th in the Supporter Shield standings. So uh, this is this is the sort of the tale of two different teams, except that Portland hasn't won in their last three games. I guess that's that's something. Uh, the LA Galaxy have one win in their last nine, as we talked about. But didn't the Galaxy win there earlier this season? Did they beat? Yes, they did, didn't they? Did they during that? They, yeah, they beat them. It was three to two. It was during that. It was during that winning streak, and I believe the Galaxy had a lead in that game of uh, by two goals, maybe even three goals. And Portland came back. Um, that was a very interesting game. But you know, when you look at the standings, you talk about the Sporters Shield standings. Um, uh, you know, if you're a Galaxy fan, all you can really say right now is thank God for FC Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, there's there's FC Cincinnati, um, and then I think Miami as well is the is the other one. No, Miami's moved up a little bit. They it might be up, uh, DC United. DC United might be there. Yeah, I think DC United. That's what it is. There are two teams that are keeping the LA Galaxy from padding the bottom of the uh, the. By the way, uh, MLS changed the supporter shield standings on the website. It says overall standings whenever they said they weren't going to put out the supporter shield. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's just funny. I was looking for the supporter shield standings. I'm like, where is it? 
it's it's always on this page it's the supporter shield standings and you just look it up and then i go over and they had changed it and i can imagine how angry they were whenever they did it and for whatever reason it gives me joy so i just i'm gonna laugh at that nobody else is but if you're looking for the supporter shield standings it's over it's under overall standings um on this uh you have some very good players on the portland timbers um you know with uh obibisi uh, with eight goals, and then you have uh, Diego Valeri with, with uh, I think, seven goals and six assists. So, I mean, you know, Valeri has, uh, I think, lost a step in all this stuff, but he's still just such an outstanding player. Um, so the LA Galaxy have their hands full, and they're going to do it, you know, I guess shorthanded. Maybe not with ten players this time. They'll actually have eleven, but I can't feel like the, the LA Galaxy are in a position to win this game, Kevin. So if you're talking about if the LA Galaxy lose two games, they're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Um, I, I wouldn't suggest that this game against Portland is, is one of those wins. Well, no, and, and Scott French asked after the game on Sunday whether the next game is must win, and it, it, you will never find a coach and very few players will ever call anything a must win because if you don't win, then why even bother to show up for the next game? So, it, uh, you know, but Sebastian Legit did talk about the sense of urgency. Maybe not a must win, but it's more like a can't lose yeah, yeah, I would say that. I can't lose, and and you can you can look. Listen, all of these are must wins. I mean, they're not mathematically must wins, which sort of eliminates the must win from it. But when you're talking about it, the LA Galaxy need momentum. They need something. Um, you know, they all talked about how yeah we lost six games in a row, but you know we uh, we we also won four games in a row, so we can do this. So so show it. So show that you can win four games in a row because right now there is nothing from this team that has convinced me of anything other than the fact that they're going to finish at the bottom of the Western Conference. And that's, I feel like they're not the most talented team in the world, Kevin, but they're not the least talented team. No, and, and, and let me give fans that are still, you know, in this thing, let, let's give them a little bit of hope. Here's a, no. a possible scenario. No, no, a possible <laughs> scenario. They win in Portland. It would have to be a fluke win, but they win. They play a tight game like they did with LAFC. This time the break goes their way. They win one to nothing, two to one. They come back, play Real Salt Lake at home. Very winnable game. They win that. Suddenly they, they got two wins in a row. Probably even that momentum might not be enough to carry them over Seattle in that midweek game. But let's say they they get a draw. Now they've got seven points out of out of a, a total of nine possible. They go to Vancouver, win or uh, Portland to play Vancouver, win that last game. That would get them in the playoffs. I mean that is not having to rewrite the, you know, um, that is not having to redo the whole standings and everything to get them there. A fluke win at Portland, they carry that momentum through Real Salt Lake, get a point with Seattle, and then play in Vancouver in Portland with a chance to go to the playoffs. I think that's doable. Do I think they'll do it? No. But I think it's, you know, clearly within the realm of possibility. That is fan fiction fantasy and fairy tales you might as well say that the la galaxy are going to start a unicorn and goal um against portland right now i just i i can't and listen there's a part of me that really wants this season to be over all right I, there's also a part of me that doesn't want to see you know the the live soccer go away and i've been you know enjoying but it, this is this is a slog and to watch you know this team play and listen, they're not a team that doesn't have heart. I, I refuse to believe that. This is a team that goes out and works. Just look what they did down a man, um, you know, for 65 minutes of that game. Um, and they were able to frustrate LAFC for most of that game. You know, it took a wacky, stupid call in order for LAFC to really get ahead. Um, and then a garbage time goal after that. So, I mean, there's heart and there's fight in this team. It's just a lot of their movement and so much of their energy is wasted in not understanding how to play. And 
and you know that's why I keep coming back and, and people can say that hey you know it's not Chicharito's fault because Guillermo Barrascoloto doesn't know what he's doing in terms of tactics and there's some of that um, I, I don't feel like Chicharito is one of those guys who's who's out there giving the max effort um, or if he is he's so out of shape that it, it's not showing uh, but yeah Guillermo Barrascoloto has done nothing to make these guys um, you know, a, a great team. And I think that they can be a much better team than they are. They're certainly not bottom of the Western Conference bad, uh, but that's what they are right yeah. now. And, well, and so maybe they are. Keep hope alive. I mean, <laughs> even if the unicorn starts in goal and they do all that, Guillermo's not coming back. So, I mean, I think that that's already set in stone. I think Guillermo's gone. Um, what, what if but, he, what, what if he wins out and he makes it to no, the playoffs and they actually no. make a, is he still does he still get is he still gone I mean that's a it's a realistic they, stupid I, question I think they would have to go really deep in the playoffs maybe not necessarily win the MLS Cup but they'd have to go very deep in the playoffs and you'd have to see a lot more um, out of them than you're seeing right now it, it can't be lucky goals and and strange bounces it has to be a team really playing with some identity uh, and, and, and playing with, uh, um, you know, there has to be a, a new culture that's not there right now. And I, I don't see any hope of that coming. So even if he makes the playoffs, I don't think that's enough to save his job. I mean, Dominic almost made the playoffs and didn't even get him an interview mm-hmm. or you know, maybe a cursory interview, but he was never seriously considered for that job. And he took a team that looked to be out of it and almost got them in the playoffs. So I think even if Guillermo does it, uh, it gets them to the playoffs, and the unicorn does start in goal and has a great game and has a clean sheet. I still don't think uh, it saves his job. I, I, I mean, what are we? Eighteen games in the season. We've seen this for. Uh, we've seen this this act eighteen times now. Is there anything that you see that you can hang your hat on and say, yeah, next year it's going to be a lot better? Because I don't see it. Mark, mark my words, and and by the way, I agree with you. There's no, I've seen nothing. The LA Galaxy have won four games this entire season. Just put that into perspective. We've seen 18 well, games. Well, no, five. Oh, five. F- five. So, yeah, sorry, Vancouver. Um, five games this entire season. So 13 times the LA Galaxy did not win, and we were we were uh, you know witness to every single one of those. But mark my words, if Guillermo Barrascoleta makes the playoffs and he wins two playoff games, he stays, which is not a good thing. Because I think no, if they that's did, pretty sad. yeah. I, well, I mean, you know, but it's like it, it's a little bit better. There's more teams in the playoffs, so I sort of have to take it to the. They they treaded water for a year, and they did it in a bad. And then you know, the, everybody will sort of sit there, and I'll probably be one of them. It's like, well, it was a COVID year, and blah blah. blah. You know, the, you can make excuses to keep Guillermo past this. I don't know if the decision is made. I think the decision is ready to be made. I thought that maybe they would do it after the LAFC game, um, just because it's a it's a rivalry, and they didn't. So. Um, listen, as much as I think it's fan fiction, the LA Galaxy, if they make the playoffs and win two games, I I would bet a lot of money that Gamera Barrascoleta would stay on with the well, LA Galaxy. You want to pour some gasoline on this dumpster fire? Yes. Think about, think about this. If there was promotion and relegation, this would be the second time in four years that the uh, premier franchise in MLS got relegated. Hey, do you, do you want to hear something that's even crazier? At no point during that time were they good enough to earn promotion. All right. So if they got relegated in 2017, they're still in the USL championship. They, they are still somewhere in the championship. Now, you know, maybe maybe Zlatan, but you're not getting Zlatan if you're if you're relegated. So I know he's, he's gone. He's to Milan already. Yeah, he's he's not there. Yeah, I know. Oh, God, the the, but, the but gears. The, yes. But the positive thing would be that Chicharito wouldn't have come. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I think it would be. There's lots of positives. And there would be a unicorn in goal, probably. Absolutely, 100%. All right. Uh, I think we're done. We've gone sideways enough. Yeah, we're, yeah, for a long we're out of time. Yeah, I need to go eat dinner. My voice is starting to get all dry from the Santa Ana winds and the fires and all that fun stuff. So uh, everybody stay safe on that for sure. All right. Uh, Kevin, anything else? We good? 
No, I think we've, yeah, we jumped the shark a long time ago. That's that's good. I thought we jumped the unicorn. We are going to talk about the unicorn again, though. I love uh, the unicorn. Absolutely. The unicorn and goal for the LA Galaxy. Uh, I don't know. Is that Jonathan Klinsman's new, uh, new like, you know, spirit animal? Is he, you know, I, no, we're not going down this. Anyway, if you're well, looking for... Kevin- no, there's, there's, there's a little girl who lives in my neighborhood that carries around a stuffed unicorn named Sprinkles. So <laughs> I'm partial to unicorns right now, anyways. I can... I don't even know where to go with that. If you're looking for <laughs> Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11. Uh, follow him over at the LA Times for all the soccer writing and I'm sure a feature story on Sprinkles the Unicorn very, very soon. LATimes.com where you can find him uh, Twitter at kbaxter11. If you're looking for me on Twitter at jgesman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course at Galaxy Podcast. Cornerofthegalaxy.com, all of our shows, all of our articles, all that fun stuff is up there for you. Cornerofthegalaxy.com, head on over there. All right, uh, for Mr. Kevin the Panda Baxter, I'm Josh Pato Guessman. And you've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Stay safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening. And we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.